National League Championship. They have beaten the Padres 4-3, and they celebrate on their home turf as the Phillies of the 2022 NL Champs. From WHYY and Billy Penn, it is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm your host, John Stolness from The Good Fight and BillyPenn.com. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And... Boy, I'll tell you what, if you've been watching this baseball team uh, over the course of the weekend and after this doubleheader on Monday, if you don't have a splitting headache, I don't really think you're caring at all about what happens because this was what a roller coaster of baseball we have had uh, since we last spoke. I know Justin and Liz uh, had a preview of the Marlins series on Friday, and since then, so much has happened. And so uh, we're going to talk about the last five games over these last four days of the big storylines going on with the Phils as they continue to try and uh, get that top wildcard spot in the National League. And joining me, as they do uh, every time, either on a Sunday night or a Monday night, we're doing it on Monday, uh, just, uh, you know, because we felt like it. Uh, Justin Clue and Liz Frocher. Uh, Justin from Baseball Prospectus and uh, one of the uh, hosts of The Dirty Inning and absolutely hammered on our Hit and Season Patreon. Follow him on Twitter at Justin underscore Clue. Justin, man, I, I like I said, I'm, I've got a, a splitting headache. I don't know that ibuprofen would do the trick at this point because what a, what a manic day. Day of baseball here on Monday. Turning to pills. It's baseball <laughs> right. in September, folks. I've been, think, been thinking a lot lately about one of the few memories I have from being a high school football player for two years. And uh, when I was on the you were a high school football player for two years. This is why I don't talk about it a whole lot. Wow. What positions <laughs> did you play? Uh, I was a tight Let me end. Guess. Oh, tight oh, end. Okay, sorry. I was yeah. gonna guess. Yeah, I was gonna I was say a, safety, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I was a tight end and a lineman. I, I was not. I was good isn't even the measurement it's like was i effective no no uh, I, I was i was a body that got pushed around in practice but when we were on the jv team um i wasn't the only one with a skill level uh, at that point and i have this very distinct memory of us running through um dummy drills where like we were in a line and one of us would come up and like t- you know try to hit and take a hit from from two coaches holding these dummies and uh uh, you know, we got it like a fifth of the way through the line. We're halfway through the season. It's JV. Nobody's coming out for your games because they're at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Anyway, these, this doesn't really matter. It's just a place to put, put the players who aren't on varsity. And we had lost a bunch of games. And it was just, you know, a nothing. And nobody was getting anything out of this season. And as we're doing this drill, we're all doing it wrong. We're all getting knocked over or just looking generally unathletic and unpleasant. And I remember my coach saying the phrase, so offhandedly and so in surrender, he just goes, you guys suck, all of you. <laughs> and that's just stuck in my head. This wasn't a particularly wow. beloved coach. This yeah. wasn't a particularly, uh, you know, th- there wasn't a lot of team chemistry on this team. Uh, but I remember him saying that. And I've been thinking about him saying that a lot lately. I especially was thinking about it in a moment like Gregory Soto giving up a home run, another home run to a Braves mm-hmm. hitter today as they slowly inched their way towards the Phillies run total. And it's just all I think when I watch the Phillies bullpen come into a game, when I watch somebody other than Zach Wheeler make a start. Uh, when I when I watch them try to hit with runners in scoring position at times, uh. you just think, "Wow, you guys suck, all of you," and and it's a horrifying <laughs> feeling to feel about your baseball team in September, especially a team that seemed it was it was the opposite of this uh, just just a week ago. Yeah, 
Yeah, and Liz, I think um, Liz, of course, from Yahoo Sports, follow her on Twitter at Liz Rocher. And I, what I've been thinking about is like, you know, they had such a magical run in August at home and all those big home runs. The offense was just it was going crazy. And, and now, but I think you realize as we take a look back on that month of August, they really did have a cupcake schedule that month. They played a lot of really bad pitching and the, the competition level has jumped up a notch here in September. And the Phillies have been treading water here uh, in September, five and six uh, here th- this month. And, you know, playing a Braves team that just looks like they they roll out of bed and hit home runs. They, they you just you cannot score enough runs on this team, and that's kind of what made these uh, these two games here in this doubleheader on Monday that the Phillies managed to split, which they absolutely had to do. Um, it just makes it that much scarier. Yes, it does. Um, I was so relieved that they they won the the second game, especially after the how the first one ended. Right. Ugh. We were yeah. all we were all there. <laughs> yeah, we were all there. Yeah. Yeah, Bryce does it again, man. I mean, here's the thing. And so for for folks who are needing to be caught up, the Phillies uh, lost game 1 of the doubleheader 10 to 8 in 10 innings. They won game 2 7 to 5. Lots of offense in these two games, not a whole lot of pitching uh to go around. Uh We'll start with the game one loss and, and just kind of get that out of the way because it was it was a game that looked like the Phillies were just kind of going to get pounded a little bit. Um, Taiwan Walker, again, struggled to throw strikes. Uh, I think he threw, if he didn't throw more balls than strikes, it was close, and he had over 100 pitches. Uh, he was just, he was awful once again, completely unreliable, no command whatsoever of anything, and the bullpen came in, and they, they weren't a whole lot better uh, in this game as well. Uh, but you have Trey Turner down four runs, it's a two-run home run in the seventh inning to get him closer. Gets him to within two runs. And then, you know, bottom of the ninth, um, first two hitters go down in order. But then you got Trey Turner beating out um, a ground ball to second base that was thrown away by Ozzy Albies. And then first pitch, Bryce Harper. He takes a timeout before getting in the box so that he can do his full routine, get himself centered, get himself ready. He's going to hit off his, um, his maybe his favorite closer in baseball to hit off of, Rice Iglesias, who had, he had three homers off him and like five at-bats coming into this at-bat. First pitch, opposite field, home run. It looked exactly like the Game 5 National League Championship Series home run to tie the game at 8. And then Jose Alvarado comes in. You have the zombie runner to start the inning on second base, but Alvarado gets hit around as he has had, as he has gotten hit around since coming off the injured list, and the Phillies can't come back and, and win it in the bottom of the inning. And, you know... The pitching staff here um, over these uh, last 14 days has has just been has just been brutal. They weren't exactly a shutdown unit in Game Two, uh, winning when the Phillies won seven to five. Michael Lorenzen gives up four runs. It wasn't a disaster of a start. He was good most of the game, but uh, Matt Olson got him twice for two home runs. Accounted for four of the five runs for the Atlanta Braves before Lorenzen left. And the bullpen in the second game did a little bit better. Justin mentioned the Gregory Soto home run that he allowed to Michael Harris, but other than that, uh, the Phillies. I guess if you keep the Braves to five runs that's the goal at this point because they they just they are so prolific offensively so the Phillies get this split and as you know you Liz the pitching staff here over these last 14 days the numbers are are pretty brutal um coming into Monday they had a 4.97 ERA over the last two weeks, which is 21st in Major League Baseball. Uh, Tywin Walker and Michael Lorenzen had combined to allow 41 runs in their last 47 innings coming into tonight. Um, Aaron Nola has a 5.86 ERA in his last eight starts. The The pitching the pitching staff has largely been good the whole season, but it's, it's starting to take on water. And I guess my question is, like, 
What's your best guess as to why things are kind of falling apart? Because it's the starters and it's the relievers right now. I mean, this is just what happens over the course of a season. I, I think we were lucky to have both the offense and the pitching working together for as long as they did. You know, this is this this is the cyclical nature of baseball. A part of the you know part of the team is going to be good for a while, and then they will naturally take a dip, and another part has to step up. So, like as long as the Phillies' offense continues to hit, like I I am concerned, but not alarmed yet i think that's mm. a good way to put it there's levels of concern like the uh <laughs> well let's give me a yeah. scale of one to ten what's your level of concern about the phillies uh, pitching staff right now probably i met like a maybe a five or a six mm, okay okay yes. i'm that's concerned a, I'm, yeah, I'm not there I, <laughs> I i'm at an eight i'm at an eight <laughs> All right. for yeah. sure um, i'm about, I'm about I, there too and i feel like i've spent the last couple months well, as soon as when these pitching problems surfaced, uh, I was definitely more where Liz was now. And to her other point that different things have been wrong with this team all year. And then something else has has worked to keep the Phillies doing OK and, and you know, keep them in games and, and allow them to win games. Uh, but in this particular case, the, I remember feeling this way earlier in the season when the Phillies couldn't rely on any of their pitchers before and they couldn't they were really struggling to hit with runners in scoring position before too. I'm not as worried about that right now because it does feel like the offense is the most present component of this team at the moment. But as far as pitching goes, when you feel like you can't rely on anybody except Zach Wheeler and Jeff Hoffman, uh, that's not that's a very low percentage of your pitching staff and you start to feel crazy like when I'm when I'm in Liz's point is interesting we can really talk this out the phases of, of yeah watching a team like this when I'm at Liz's point I'm thinking yeah but they can't like the cartoonishly high number of pitchers who can't get outs or, or are letting casually letting runs get in before they get the third out or get letting guys get on base the number of guys who are doing that is just so high. It can't possibly be a long-term thing. And then it just goes on for two weeks, and you just start to feel like you're out to sea without a life preserver. And you're like, there's nobody out here who can who can save this situation. Because even in a game like tonight, uh, when you're playing a team like the Braves, they're going to wriggle into every crack. They're going to swallow every beam of daylight that, that, that they can get. And even tonight, if that, inning, if that game had been two or three innings longer, the Braves would have won. Because they were slipping in a run, even in innings where they were like not really rallying, but then they'd hit a solo shot, they'd get a sack fly, they would inch, you know, a little closer, a little closer. They are always on the way. They're like the monster from it follows. And a Philly, a team like the <laughs> Phillies, struggling the way they are right now, isn't going to be able to hold them back forever. So they have to rely on that offense. It's just the offense isn't as on fire as it was last month, and you know that's not as that's not as confidence building when the pitching is just non-existent. I'll say this about the offense and, and this doubleheader against the Braves. They scored they scored plenty of runs. You know, they scored yeah. 15 runs in these two games. And I, I they, they struggled in the in the Miami series to hit with runners in scoring position. And that was that was really frustrating. It's why they lost two out of three to the Marlins o over the weekend, um, more so than the pitching. The pitching actually was good for a, a lot of that series, except mm -hmm. for when it in, in the really big clutch situations, like getting shut down innings, um, the Phillies would get a get a rally scratch out a run and then they would allow another run um after that and so like there was there was that frustration in the in the marlin series but generally speaking the offense has i think done its part we there's some frustration with castellanos there's some frustration with real muto bryson stott has kind of hit the skids a little bit here but you've still got turner and schwarber and harper and bohm to a degree bohm had an awful game in the series and now he gets the marlins on oh. sunday 
but generally speaking, has has performed pretty well. Uh, the bottom of the lineup not giving you a whole lot right now, but you've I think the, the offense is doing enough to kind of to kind of keep you moving forward here in the month of September against some better pitching. The, the, the problem is. There's just no one you can trust. Justin alluded to that a second ago. And and there's there's one starting pitcher, Zach Wheeler, who you feel reasonably sure is going to give you a really good outing. And then you look at the rest of the rotation. Ranger Suarez was very good his last time out, but even taking a no-hitter into, what was it, the seventh inning, he then, he gave up three runs then in the seventh. You know, he, this, the, the third one was an inherited runner that was allowed to score, but he kind of fell apart there in that in that seventh inning. And maybe that's on, you know, maybe that's on Rob Thompson for for not kind of having a, a quicker trigger. Maybe not. You know, he was cruising up to that point. Um you know, uh, Taiwan Walker, you certainly don't feel good about. You certainly don't feel good about Michael Lorenzen. I mean, at the moment, Chris Sanchez has probably been the most consistent starting pitcher since the start of July, since Zach, outside of Zach Wheeler, which is a bonkers thing to say out loud. And, you know, so, and then the, the, the bullpen, there's just, there's no one that you can bring in in a late inning situation. Like as this game, the second game of the doubleheader was unfolding, you know, it's seven to five and you just, you're, you're terrified that the, that the pitching staff is just going to start putting people on base. And it's these walks that the, that the bullpen that, you know, these leadoff walks, you know, putting two guys on and, and just killing yourselves with bases on balls from the bullpen. I, I mean, it's just, it's infuriating to watch as a fan. And so, you know, I, I think for right now, the, the problem with this baseball team is, is this pitching staff. It's a starting rotation who, that can't hold the lead and a bullpen that has just absolutely authored some crushing defeats after Bryce Harper home runs. I mean, Liz, I just, I can't even describe what it, what it feels like when Bryce Harper does something like that. The fact that he's able to keep doing that over and over and over and over again, and the bullpen not able to to, to finish the job and, and help, help make Rob Thompson's life easier and make his decisions seem a little bit smarter by just getting some guys out. Yeah, that was, that was really difficult. In game one, to that was difficult to swallow. I, I do want to spend a second defending Ranger Suarez, though. He gave up three runs in a game that they lost 5-4. Like, that was a situation where they could have used more runs. That, yes. I, I don't want to pin that one solely on Ranger Suarez because giving no, yeah. up three runs is something a... a, a a guy in his position in the rotation is going to do giving up three runs is something Zach Wheeler does from time to time. Like sure, like sure. He did have not a great start before that. Uh, I think in Milwaukee, and that was not great. But he's been pretty solid. So let's. I want to cut him some slack just a little bit before we we criticize him too hard. No, and I I think that's totally fair. And the in bullpen that game on... sucks, though. I will tell you. Yeah, I will yeah. confirm that the bullpen does suck. I, you know, they got up, they were up two nothing, two pitches into the game. You know, Schwarber gets the, gets the single, Turner hits the home run. Um, you're up two nothing before you blink in the series finale. And, you know, you're up three nothing in the seventh and, and, you know, Rangers cruising. And you just think, you, you think for sure that you, you've got this. I mean, this game's in the bag and then it just, it flipped like a, it flipped like a switch. And, yeah, um, it you hurt know, more because oh, of that. It, it hurt a lot more. And I think that's, that's the key to the overreaction here. Suarez needed a couple of games to get going when he started late this year. He didn't Mm -hmm. get here till mid-May, and he needed 
two or three starts to really start looking like himself again. And then he was pitching into the seventh or just about for a bunch of starts in a row. And then, you know, they, they lost him again in mid August. So I was, I felt like he was probably going to need a couple of starts to really like figure it, like get back in his groove. Uh, hope uh, the Milwaukee start was bad enough. Hopefully he worked enough stuff out, but yeah, I mean, he did look more solid, uh, against the Marlins, but Man, uh, I, he's still not somebody that I'm like. Okay, good. I don't even check who's really pitching anymore because if it's oh, not Wheeler, <laughs> if it's not Wheeler, then it's like, oh boy, this will this will get interesting. And if it's Walker or Lorenzen, which how do we how did we have to start both of them in a single double? Oh, it's like we're being punished. <laughs> yeah, Taiwan Ty- Walker. I mean, as 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 infuriating as Aaron Nola has been, and that's a whole different conversation. Um, I, I do want to stop and just talk about Taiwan Walker because he. He's 15 and six this year. His record's 15 and six, but the ERA is closer to five than it is to four at this point. And he he just, I, I think part of the the issue I have with some of these Philly starters right now is they just they don't miss bats. And with with, with Taiwan Walker early in the game, his stuff looked pretty good, and then he just he just lost command. I mean, it almost seemed like it almost seemed like he was afraid to throw the ball over to the plate to this Braves offense, which I I can understand, but you know. I, the Phillies starting rotation of late has just not had any kind of command. You know, they just, they can't hit the corners or every, every pitcher is leaving pitches over the middle of the plate. It seems. And Zach Wheeler can get away with that. Cause he throws 98 with some, with some crazy movement. And he's got the, he's got the great stuff, but none of the other guys they have in the starting rotation really, really have that kind of stuff right now. And Taiwan Walker was against the Braves. That's that's, and that's my worry. Like in a playoff series, I, I just don't know who I don't know who's starting these games in a in a playoff series. With Aaron Nola is going to get game two, but you know, Justin, would his leash be like how short is his leash down the stretch here? I mean, for me, I'm having I'm at least I want somebody standing by the bullpen phone in the fourth inning to be ready to warm up at a moment's notice and ready to go if he gets into any trouble because like he the way his the way his starts spiral out of control on him down the stretch here if you're fighting for a wild card spot and especially in the postseason I, I might even have somebody warming up in the fourth inning moving forward if Aaron Nola allows two base runners simultaneously or even just in one inning I'm I'm reaching for the phone um yeah you, you've seen that play out too many times uh, I think Thompson's just got a whole different mindset about it. When he was asked about Nola and starting him in the playoffs a couple weeks ago, his response, you know, the, the swiftness of his confirmation that he would start Nola uh, number two was indicative of him. Like he may not have even be aware of the converse, kind of conversations we have about Aaron Nola, uh, but he's seeing the same things we are. And if you take yourself seriously as a playoff team, you can't watch Aaron Nola in 2023 and then think, yeah, no, this guy's got the bases loaded with one out, but you know, I feel like he can work his way out of this. That's not his specialty. It's simply not. Uh, he's, he's a pitcher. You just watch him go until he hits the wall and you got to just be really mindful when he hits that wall, because you got to take action pretty quick because we've, we've seen too many starts just get out of control and you got to jump on that before it gets too out of control. That being said, it's kind of a horror story because that's your number two starter. This whole situation only exists if Zach Wheeler went the day before like eight innings and threw a pretty dominant start and your bullpen's not fully taxed. Because if, if you are if you already spent everybody on a on a lackluster Wheeler start and then you're pitching Nola the next day and you're reaching into a junk drawer that you don't even want to, you haven't opened in, in a while and you don't want to deal with what's inside. So the Phillies could be in an ugly place pretty quick. And this is what I mean when I say it's scary to feel like there's very few few pitchers you can rely on to just get out 
Uh, yeah. But the mo the mo on Nola has been here for a while. We we know what to expect. Rob Thompson knows what to to expect. I can't imagine he's not on a short leash moving forward. You just hope and pray that leash extends into like the seventh inning. What do we make of Rob Thompson and how he's using these guys? I know th- there was a lot of questions about using Sir Anthony Dominguez in, in, w- after the Marlins tied the score 3-3 um, in the seventh inning when they brought Sir Anthony out for the eighth inning. Uh, he, of course, gives up the the big, the big crushing two-run home run uh, in, in that spot, and, and was that was the difference in the Phillies losing that game on Sunday 5-3. to three. Who do you uh, Sir Anthony- out there, though? Well, and that's that was going to be my question because you know Sir Anthony Dominguez over the last 14 days a 5.68 ERA coming into Monday, but uh, Jose Alvarado has a 4.15 ERA. Uh, Craig Kimbrell looked great tonight in, in the second game of this uh, in the second game of the doubleheader, uh, locking down the ninth inning. But he has a 5.40 ERA coming into this game. Matt Strom has a 4.76 ERA coming into this game. Andrew Bellotti, who was we see why he was in AAA all year, has a 6.75 ERA over the last 14 games. Gregory Soto a Seven point two ERA. Uh, so these are all your bullpen guys. The, these are. I mean, there's. I don't really know who you go to in this spot. And I, I guess I'm only comforted, Liz, in the fact that the bullpen was a real problem in September of last year too. Specifically, Sir Anthony Dominguez. We were. I mean, who struggled mightily down the stretch and was removed from the closer's role because he couldn't get anybody out. And then manage to figure it out, manage to fix it. And they don't go to the World Series without Jose Alvarado and Sir Anthony Dominguez doing what they do. But they were not very good last September, which is why it's so weird to me how this 2023 Philly season is mirroring 2022 almost down to the day with, with regards to their ups and downs and win-loss record and all that kind of stuff. But I guess that's what I'm kind of hanging my hat on is that bullpens fluctuate and it's not linear and these guys can figure it out in a second and then be unhittable for a month. And I I think that's what we kind of have to hope at this point, that some of these guys, you keep running them out there and they figure it out. That's exactly what I meant by the cyclical nature of baseball is that this is going to change depending on whatever, like, like you said, you could trip on a, you know, a, an errant blade of grass one day. And for the next week you pitch like crap, who knows, who knows what happens and why, but you know, it would be a blessing in a way for things to mirror last year because last year was a whole lot of fun, right? Yeah. I would love that. But I would also love for things to be just a little bit different. It doesn't have to mirror last year for it to be good. The bullpen, the bullpen can find itself sooner. They, they can fix things tomorrow, and wouldn't we all love that? Yeah, and I, I think the margin for error, there is a little bit of a, of a margin for error here because they they the competition is not as good as what they faced last year in fighting for the wild card. You know, the teams that are still struggling for that third wild card spot keep playing 500 ball. Nobody's gone on a run. The Cubs got really red hot and then they lost three out of four to the diamondbacks during the course of the weekend. Now they're in Colorado. Um, so I, I, don't love the the, mat, the the fact the Phillies are playing the Braves and the Cubs get the Rockies this week. But as we saw last year, you know the the, the Brewers struggled with a struggling Marlins team down the stretch as the Phillies were playing some some tough teams. So you know it's it's not it's it's not necessarily going to always just work out based on who you're playing and all that. And you know it's uh, the Phillies have built up this lead over those third wild card teams that if they just split this series with the Braves, I think that's I think that's the W. Right, Justin. I mean, like, if they can, if they split this four-game series and go two and two with the Braves, I'm I'm considering that a win. And I I said that even before the doubleheader started uh, here on Monday. I can find something to live off of with a split, but I'll tell you what. I keep going back to the Marlins series, and if they had won just one of those games yeah. that they lost, 
Yeah. I think this uh. entire perspective is probably pretty different because then you're yeah. only looking at the Brewers series as as a series loss. And in that game, they were they were in those games that they lost. I mean, same with the Marlins series. Like yeah. in a way, they're that, in every game that they lose. They don't they don't get blown out ever. They're in every game. Yeah, except for that eight to nothing uh, blast well, yeah. in San Diego. But they won yeah. those two other games pretty well. So like that that's that's the thing. Like. How, how are you looking at it at this point, based on what we know about the Phillies to this point, that they have this these, this high ceiling, but it seems to fluctuate between different components of the team at, at, at any given time. Uh, and you watch them play these tight games that they used to be able to win, but they don't win them as much anymore. So, like, what is it? Is it that they are a team that even when they lose, they're in it to the end? Or are, are they now a team again that doesn't get the big hit when they need it and loses by, like, a couple of runs? Because we're seeing more and more of that in September, and it's not super encouraging. Uh, I feel like that it's lost. The team has lost the heat that they accrued in August. They're going to have to build that back up again. And two games against the Braves is going to be tough to do that. Um, you mentioned Alvarado. I was kind of trying to find differences in the between the first and second halves. Um, and honestly, when you look at like the guys that we know have been struggling lately, it, it does feel like longer because we're in September. Because like the differences in, in a lot of these numbers between the first and second half for these relievers. It doesn't seem that big. It's meaningful because it's you know it's a little more concentrated in the second half, but there, there really isn't a huge difference uh, in a lot of the numbers that the bullpen guys put up. Jose Alvarado hasn't allowed a run with two outs in the first or second half this year. Like that—that's that's something you want to be able to say about your your um, your one of your back end reliever guys. That being said, he's walking so much. We had nine walks in the first oh. half of the season. He's had six so far. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like he's not hitting yeah. the strike zone, which you right. know he's able. To, he he that is a thing he does. He he throws very hard, but he does not throw very accurately all the time. That was kind of the book on a lot of these guys. They got to be in the bullpen, and so I think if you looked a little closer, you'd see that just about a lot of these guys who aren't superstars on this team, and some of the ones who are, uh, they're they're all these compartmentalized versions of the Phillies as a whole, where they're they're the kind of they're just they're just the kind of players. Who are who can be really good for stretches, but have you know gaps in their game where once a year, twice a year, sometimes at the worst possible time, sometimes you know when in garbage time, they just have, lose their fastball. I have a question. Yes. So I think we all have some conf- some level of confidence that Jose Alvarado is going to find the strike zone again because we know we can, right? Do we all mm-hmm. have some level of constant confidence? I there? do. I do that he'll find it again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. What is our confidence level on Sir Anthony Dominguez? Because I'm not very high. I'm not. It's. I'm not feeling very good about him. Uh, watching him pitch has been torturous in a very unique way. It feels to me. What What are your thoughts? You know, it's it's funny. Like his fastball velocity is still there. I would be really worried if he was topping out at 95, but he's still throwing 97, 98. I feel like there's a they you know there was an article I don't remember which beat writer wrote this but it was about a mechanical adjustment that he made about being more kind of upright in his in his motion and that's was supposed to help him command the baseball a little bit better but obviously he's thrown way too many pitches over the middle of the plate and when you're Sir Anthony Dominguez even if you throw 97 98 miles an hour if you throw it right down the middle they will hit it out a very, very long way. And it just doesn't seem like he has the swing and miss stuff that he used to have. And and the slider doesn't seem to be there right now. I feel like if, again, when I think about back to last year, Sir Anthony struggled a lot 
in September and then figured it out and was dominant in October. And so I feel like maybe he can figure that out again. I certainly don't trust him right now. Jeff Hoffman is this is last year's Sir Anthony Dominguez and Sir Anthony Dominguez right now is last year's David Robertson. That's the that's the hierarchy and the trust level that you have in both of those guys right now. When Jeff Hoffman comes into the game, I have the same confidence level as I did Sir Anthony Dominguez in October of last year. And maybe Jeff Hoffman will betray that trust and who knows what will happen. But so far, his, his, he's been he's been fantastic. When David Robinson would come into a game last year, you're just kind of hoping that he gets enough strikeouts and he gets enough ground balls hit at people that you can survive the two base runners that he's going to put on. And what's been really killing the Phillies bullpen right now has been walks walking guys and then giving up home runs like they have given up a ton of home runs over these last couple of weeks in killer spots extra base hits lots of extra base hits in killer spots over, over these last couple of weeks and that's that's what's killed them and and i i think with sir anthony i i feel like he has his stuff it's still there but there's something off but i i guess my confidence level that he will figure it out i'm at a six I think that he'll get better and get back to what he was in October of last year. But, you know, that's not overwhelming. They are giving your thoughts. They are giving up more fly balls, but less of those fly balls are becoming home runs. But again, I think that might be the difference between the length of the first and second halves. And the bullpen's giving up line drives at about the same rate. But I really do think it's walks followed by home runs is yeah is is their recipe as far as dominguez yeah i think that one feels a little more personal because we've been watching sir anthony dominguez for a couple of years now and it was a tragedy and we didn't know where he was for a while because he looked so promising he had all this velocity and then he was gone uh and he finally came back and last year was so effective and this year watching him struggle he's he's kind of lumped in with the rest of the back end of that bullpen and yeah i'm i it's like John said, the velocity is clearly still there, but he's just, he's having issues. He's not locating his pitches. Did you see a couple of days ago where he shook off JT real Muto? It was yes. O2 pitch and he gave up a single. <laughs> I mean, like the, stuff like that. What just are you chill, doing, man? Come on. Got to trust the people around you too. But uh, yeah, I don't, I, I think it's just a lot of uh, issues like that. A lot of small to medium sized stuff. Like his raw stuff is there. Uh, he's just not executing. And he's either not finding the zone. Well, it's the kind of the opposite of Alvarado. Alvarado just won't hit the zone. Sir Anthony will hit it, but then it'll come hit back at him. So <laughs> that's uh, that. With that being an issue, yeah, I mean, he's just another one of these guys that you hope is going to work it out in the in the weeks ahead. But uh, hopefully, the velocity not dipping is a sign that it's not necessarily a mechanical or health issue. By, by the way, speaking of of bullpen guys, I gave all those ERAs from from pitchers from bullpen guys over the last couple of weeks. I, I failed to give the numbers for Dylan Covey, who has a 2.25 ERA over these last two weeks. And of the four Phillies pitchers who pitched in the first game of the doubleheader, the 10 to 8 loss, Covey went two innings, gave up one hit with no runs allowed. No strikeouts, no walks. He didn't strike anybody out, but also didn't give any free passes. So Dylan Covey, six innings so far here over the last couple of weeks, uh, and that ERA went down from 2.25. You wonder, is he is he going to start to get some some later inning work? I mean, get, he, I, I prefer the, the high strikeout guys, the guys with the great stuff, but man, if Gregory Soto doesn't know where the ball's going, and if Sir Anthony Dominguez is getting pounded with, with his pitches over the strike zone, and Jose Alvarado and Matt Strom are throwing wild pitches 10 feet over the catcher's heads, Boy, I mean, I might start to think a little bit about Dylan Covey. What in, are you in, doing? 
I'm <laughs> reaching for straws. It's, I, I'm it's grasping here. Kobe, come on. <laughs> like you, let's let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. Let's not let's not do that. Let's be grateful for what he's given us and not ask more of him. That I don't. I think we can all agree. Maybe he's not capable of giving that. I don't know. I don't think he is. I'm not a Dylan <laughs> Covey guy. I'm just I'm just reading numbers to everybody here. That's that's you know just just saying what's been going on. And he pitched uh, he pitched well in the first game of the of the doubleheader here on on Sunday. Um, you know, and, and look at the offense. We we talked a lot about the pitching. Obviously, the the pitching staff is a is a major concern moving forward. They're going to go back to a five man rotation uh, moving forward. And so I think what you're going to see is Michael Lorenzen and Christopher Sanchez piggyback each other every fifth day. So you'll probably get a combination, which will be good for the bullpen and keep those guys from uh, having to pile up a lot of innings. But you know, it's if maybe less Michael Lorenzen at this point is more, uh, and Chris Sanchez. I mean, he's I think this was one of the issues that people had with Rob Thompson in the Miami series. He was he was cr- kind of cruising in that game, but it seems as though Rob Thompson is terrified to let him go more than five innings. He's terrified to let teams see him a third time through the order, which, you know, I get that the numbers for pitchers the third time through the order are much worse than the first two times, but um, he seemed, that doesn't seem to stop him from sending Taiwan Walker out there for an extra, to try and squeeze a few extra outs from him in the sixth inning of a game in which he's clearly struggling in the first game of the doubleheader. And I guess... I guess they're concerned about his innings workload, maybe thinking that they're going to need him in the postseason, but, you know... I, I think that I think that Thompson had a quick hook with Chris Sanchez the other day and turning a game over to the bullpen again a bullpen that has struggled is is kind of an issue but if the bullpen does its job then Rob Thompson looks smart so I, I don't know what do you, what's your take on on Christopher Sanchez now and and Justin how where does he fit among among this group of starters right now as effective as, he, as he's been you know he's not walking guys and he's generally speaking doing his job yeah uh to answer your question, yes, less Michael Lorenzen is a good thing. Um, so, like, I, I totally support that move. But Sanchez is, yeah, like you said, you, you got to throw his name in there, too, as one of the more steady presences. But, like, of all the pitchers, he's the one that's got the quick hook. You could give, you sh- you sh- if you could, you should be given a quick hook to just about everybody between him and Wheeler in the rotation. But I think, like you're saying, Thompson's getting a little worried about workload issues. And, you know, we're starting to see that. Kapler, Girardi, greed. Where yeah, you send this ain't a guy, the time of year for that. Yeah. This ain't the time of year for that. <laughs> send a guy out just be like, well, maybe just three isn't that many outs. Let's just see if he. It'll probably be okay. Let's save save Andrew Bellotti from having to come in or something. Uh, and yeah, he, he, I get it. He's he's got to play that game. He's he's got to keep his bullpen. Uh, he's got to protect them where he can because right now his starters aren't. They aren't going deep mm-hmm. enough into games to protect the bullpen. So he's got to try to squeeze a, probably like one more inning out of out of um, these less promising looking starts. Uh, and he's also like you're saying, thinking about the playoffs. You know, he's got to he's got to make sure that uh, we don't run into the same stamina issues the Phillies have run into uh, in September and October. But that being said, you also have to win games. You have to, in a close wild card playoff race, you gotta you also gotta win games. And it's crazy. It would be crazy to suggest that the decisions that Thompson has made with his pitching staff and the downtick in productivity from the pitching staff have not been giant factors in this team's recent skid. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, hopefully there's enough time here that this stuff can get worked out. But I think to, if you talk to Thompson, he's just going to tell you the same thing he said all year, that 
these are ball players and they just got to play ball. You know, whatever issues you're seeing, I'm not worried about long term. They're going to get worked out. It's the ebb and flow of the season. Even I'm right now using more words than he probably would to describe the situation. <laughs> but in general, his whole thing would just be we got to just keep playing and these are good ball players and they'll figure it out. We were at that point with the offense at one point. I'm sure he'd say the same thing about the pitching staff. But this year is when this part of the year is when things get a little trickier. And I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah, and he has said that essentially. It's like these guys just need to they they just need to execute. I mean, what are you gonna Taiwan Walker is a veteran a veteran guy and I don't he's just gotta execute his pitches. Uh you know, Lorenzen is, is way over his career innings limit. It's 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 not crazy to to see that maybe he has pretty much reached the end point of what he can be as a starter. So uh moving him to the bullpen would might can certainly help too. Can be maybe the Zach Eflin effect in in the in the bullpen uh, in October. So uh, these guys are going to settle into their roles here a, as we go along. Uh, we've talked a lot about the pitching staff. Let's talk about the offense. Obviously, again, another huge hero moment for Bryce Harper. I just I feel I feel so bad for Harper coming up with these memorable moments. These these iconic, which should be iconic home runs. Like when you go back and you watch like the 1993 uh, DVD or whatever it is, or the 2008 DVD, you see these moments, you know, these, these capstone moments of a regular season with these, with these big home runs. And the fact that Bryce Harper continues to do it over and over again, even right now as he's kind of been struggling of late, although it looks like he's, he's coming out of it here in the doubleheader was really putting some good swings on the ball. Um, The fact that he came through and did it again is just astonishing. And it's, this is the first, well, that's not true. Like when Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins were in their prime, you really believed Jason Worth, you really believed that any of those guys could would come through in a, in a big spot at any time. And Bryce Harper is maybe the most clutch Phillies player that we've ever seen. Um, I will also throw some bouquets out to Kyle Schwarber and Trey Turner. The broadcast had these numbers. Check out these numbers for these two guys. In his last 32 games, Kyle Schwarber is hitting 289. By the way, he's got his batting average up over 200 now. Yay. Um, he has scored 36 runs in his last 32 games out of the leadoff spot with 16 home runs in his last 32 games with 29 RBIs. He's hitting a home run every other game over his last 32 games. And Trey Turner in his last 33 games is hitting 381 with 33 runs scored, 15 home runs and 39 RBIs. He just, he crossed the 25-25 club this weekend. 25 home runs, 25 stolen bases. A month ago, wouldn't have dreamed that that was possible. And he's trending towards finishing the season with an OPS over 800, which again, was just unfathomable 33 games ago before before these two guys went on this tear. And if you guys will remember, at the beginning of the season, one of the talking points was just how awful the top of the lineup was. We, it was the numbers one and two hitters Schwarber and and Turner, although until they started moving guys around when those guys were really struggling the first month and a half, were historically bad. Like no no one and two hitter had been as historically bad OPS wise as the Phillies, and now they've got the best one two punch in baseball right now at the top of the lineup. And Harper hitting right there, and you know they're having some issues with the with some of their right handed hitters at the moment. But uh, Castellanos and Real Muto and Bowman trying to figure out who's going to be their cleanup guy. But um, right now. 
Liz, they have enough offensive pieces that you feel reasonably, you still feel reasonably sure that if they get down, they can come back. And we saw it in this doubleheader against uh, against uh, the Braves, and we even saw it over the weekend in Miami a, a couple of different times. Again, the game on Sunday with with Bryce Harper, just still those periodic struggles with runners in scoring position, but it's not nearly as bad as it was early in the season. Like they've had a couple of spurts where they struggle with runners in scoring position, but not nearly to the point that it was when it was making us catatonic in the first three months of the season. Oh yeah, I mean they scored a lot of runs on on uh, Monday. They they scored a lot. They scored what eight eight and they scored fifteen. Yeah, fifteen runs. Fifteen runs. That's a lot of runs. Yep, they did and good. And as as long as there are a couple of hot hitters in the lineup, they can make it work. As long as Thompson is willing to be flexible with his lineups, which he's not always shown himself to be. But if he loosens up just a little bit, I think the Phillies will be able on offense will be able to weather whatever they have to, which is what they've been doing because, you know, Stott has cooled off, as you mentioned. Some guys are having a tough time right now. And yet Turner and Schwarber are putting the team on their back, you know, and Bryce Harper is also helping. You know, they're out there pulling the team across the across the line thus far in September one of the most troublesome months in Philly's history. <laughs> but not, yeah. not really, though. They've lost 6 of 11 in, in September. They've lost, they're losing more one-run games than than ever. I mean, they, they, they've they lost the first three games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess, but I mean, that, that's been the difference is that I, I would have been in August calmed by, by what you're saying. But uh, over the first two weeks of this month, it seems like that, that, that aspect that you could lean on to win them games that they could just bash their way out of any holes the pitching created hasn't hasn't been there as often and and Stott is definitely a, a bummer in that yeah, regard in 2023 his uh, his K rate was 15.4 this year it was like seventh among Philly starters in September it's up to 23.7 which yeah. is third he's on the team sick. he's striking out a, uh, at a at a much higher rate more so than you're used to seeing and those like very mature at bats that you really enjoy with him especially when he's got two strikes they haven't been as uh, frequent. Again, this year, all year long, with two strikes, he was hitting 250, uh, striking out 26% of the time. Those are the best two numbers on this team. Uh, and in this month, he's up to 37.5% of the Ew. time he's striking out Ew. with two strikes. With a 143 batting average with two strikes, which are both the worst on the team. So he has completely fluctuated or among the, among starters. Uh, so he's completely fluctuated to the other side of that. And that, I think, is you're also seeing that. I think that I think the steady production you've gotten from Stott, Marsh, and Bohm this year has at times at times maybe not been taken for granted, but just sort of forgotten about or looked past because it's been there and it's been one of the more quietly consistent parts of this team. And now one of them uh, and and his biggest strength are struggling, and I think you're really seeing. That. I think people are picking up on that and maybe aren't even realizing that they're picking up on that because you haven't really had the well Bryson Stott is really struggling conversation all year. You really haven't. So that, that that it's a small miracle that we're talking about this now. Uh, it took until now for us to talk about it, for this to be an issue. But it's also something that is impacting this offense. Well, yeah, and and I think what the other thing I think it gets overshadowed because of the struggles of Castellanos and uh, Real Muto at home, and specifically with runners in scoring position. Uh, both those guys, it's kind of a weird thing watching these guys hit right now, and especially Castellanos, but. Just jumping out of their shoes right now, 
going after pitches. I, it's it's really remarkable how a, a professional big league hitter who was so disciplined at the plate for the first four months of the season, five months of the season, has simply decided I'm swinging at everything. everything. I don't I don't care what pitch. I don't care what happened in the plate appearance before me. I don't care if this pitcher just threw 12 balls in a row and did like a, a Charlie Sheen wild thing impersonation out there on the mound. I'm hacking first pitch, even if it's 15 feet inside. And that's just where he is right now. I I don't know why on earth you would throw Nick Castellanos a ball over the plate. He walked, and I think it was the second game of the doubleheader, and I couldn't believe my eyes. Couldn't believe my eyes that he that he actually drew a walk. I almost, it's just been inc- I almost tweeted that you could see him physically preventing mm-hmm. himself from swinging. Like it was, yeah. you could see rippling through his body the sensation yeah. to swing. And swing, Nick, swing, just, swing, Nick, swing, 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 He just and, really, uh, he wants to swing at everything. He, He's just, he, there's pressing and then there's Nick Castellanos like a, a good 20 miles beyond pressing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he was so consistent early in the season where he came up to the plate and, Justin, you felt good about it. Now, I don't want him anywhere near a plate appearance in a big spot, although he did come through in, in what was it? Was it the first game of the series, of the doubleheader or the second game of the doubleheader with a big hit? I think it was in the first game. First game, he knocked, he, I think he saved them from a losing a bases loaded, wasting a bases loaded opportunity. And he, right. And even that was like, you know, he hacked, and I think off the handle of the bat, sent a single mm-hmm. into, into yeah, right or yeah, something. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's definitely struggling. But I will say, at this point in the season, there are more guys I'm glad to see coming to the plate, especially in big moments. Whereas before it was like, you know, I mentioned uh, the young guys. They're usually, usually their job is table setting. Uh, mm-hmm. Bohm obviously has knocked in Bohm and Stott have, have uh, excelled with runners in scoring position at different times this year, but largely a lot of the time they're getting on base. They're using their speed uh, and they're the ones getting knocked in when you have guys like Harper, Schwarber and Turner coming up. Um, and I feel like there is a more reliable, I mean, it was again, wasn't it just like a week and a half ago we were saying there's no uh, lineup is eight guys long, except for Jake Cave. Like everybody is a threat. <laughs> you can rely, everybody yeah. can come up. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, mm. but I do feel like, uh, as opposed to when Castellanos was the all-star on this team, it felt like he was largely on an Island among the veterans. As far as productivity goes now, it feels like a lot of the guys are a lot of the. Uh, veterans have really found their strokes and are are making huge contributions on offense. And so if Castellanos is struggling, that should be okay. But that's... Uh, Especially if they hit him eighth, yeah. which is which I'm glad to see Rob Thompson do. Yes. And I didn't think he would do it. He did it with Trey Turner, and now he did it with Nick Castellanos. And it seemed to help. And the, 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 I think the two games he was batting eighth, he, he looked a lot calmer. Um, and I, I think... He, I'll say this about Rob Thompson in the lineups. I think... I would I I'm at a point where Jake Cave had a big hit in the second game of the doubleheader, but I don't understand what the, the purpose Jake Cave serves at this point. Yeah. He may be a lefty bat, then it makes sense numerically to hit him against righty pitchers. But man, I'm telling you what, I and and we and we continue to swap out Brandon Marsh late in games against left-handed relievers for Christian Pache, who. For some reason, Rob Thompson thinks is this right-handed pinch hitter extraordinaire against lefties. I just keep it simple, man. Brandon Marsh has shown that he can hit. He had that big bases-clearing double against a left-handed reliever in the in the middle game against the Marlins that ended up being the big difference in, in that game. Like, what? Do you, why are we doing this? Where we're taking him, taking out a, a player who is a potential All-Star player in Brandon Marsh for Christian Pache, who. 
might be a nice player, but you know, late in games, that's not that's that's not an offensive upgrade. I don't care. I don't care if if Brandon Marsh is a lefty against a lefty. That stop stop doing that and stop hitting Jake Cave. Stop putting Jake Cave in the lineup. Give me give me Johan Rojas. This team was playing really well with Rojas's defense in center field. Give me Rojas every day in center. Give me Brandon Marsh every day in left. And when you've got to, you know, get Harper out of first base and, and make him the DH and put Schwarber in left, then then you figure it out. But I mean, my goodness, it just, I, I feel like we're not playing the optimal lineup every day, trying to do all these matchups that I don't necessarily think are working out. There's been times this year where Pache has looked very hot at the plate, but he is, I think, still definitively a defensive asset by definition. And... To see him enter <laughs> entering all these games as a pinch hitter has yeah, been like mm, replacing An Marsh upgrade. Who, who you're like, no, no, these guys should be in the outfield at the same time late in games. Think of all the ground that they can cover together, but instead they're like getting swapped out for each other. And especially when you see Pache coming to the plate instead of Marsh in, in, a, in a time when the Phillies could really use a hit. Yeah, yeah, the 10th inning of the first game. As mm-hmm. much as much success as he has had at this year, it's still, like you're saying, it is still not an upgrade, by, I, I don't think. No. No, I, I think it's time to stop fiddling around with, you know, Jake Cave and, and Pache. Just get your, you know, get your best nine guys in there and play them as much as you can down the stretch. I mean, you, you're going to have to rest some guys here and there, but um, it's it's too much right now. But I overall, the offense, if you're if you're ranking the list of things to complain about, the offense is, is third on the list for sure uh, after after the starting pitching and, and the relief and the, the bullpen. It's probably bullpen starter uh, offense as, as this team is, is kind of rolling down here in September. And it's September 11th as we're recording this, and so there's a lot of this month left to go. Um, this, again, has not been a kind month to the Phillies historically. Um, as we are finished with this doubleheader on Monday, they have two games more against the Braves. They're five and six here in September. Again, all I want out of this four-game series is a split. Uh, you have a great game on Tuesday, Zach Wheeler against Max Freed. It's a tough matchup uh, for the Phillies, especially Freed, a left-hander. He's he's really tough against lefties, but um, he has, he's, there, he's their ace, I think, more so than Spencer Strider is, and it's going to be a tough matchup for the Phillies on Tuesday. But they got it; they got to split this series, if for nothing else, than to prevent the Braves from clinching the National League East in Philadelphia. Oh, no, nobody wants to see that. No, they've done it before, and it yeah. sucked. And yeah. they they did it, I think, at least once when the Phillies weren't even competitive, and it sucked. I really don't want to see it again. I hate those guys. <laughs> Yeah, we we all hate those guys, and we'd certainly, I think, a split. Would you guys be happy with a split at this point if they split these next two games, oh, God, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday? I'd be, I yeah. would, I, no, I would be demor. I wouldn't, I would not be demoralized by a split. Okay, I not would, happy, I, but not demoralized. I guess I'd be pleased. Again, if they I'd win that Marlins series and split with the Braves, I'm, I, I would be happy. But it's the fact that they've already lost two series this month, and. Um, you know, yeah, playing the Braves is tough. Playing the Braves for collectively a full calendar week in the month of September is, yeah, that sucks. I don't, I, I'm not saying that's easy, but you know what? The road through the playoffs is going to, you're going to have to play the Braves or, or you're going to have to play the Dodgers. You're going to have to play at least one of them. So, you know, you know, you might as well try to get, get on their level for just a, you know, uh, even if it's just for a night. Uh, and, and try to try to take this series, you know, like try try to get back yeah. on track. It's not going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. Not against the Braves, and maybe they, you know, maybe maybe they aren't up for it right now. But they do have 17 more games this month, including three more against the Braves after this series, and that is still a big chunk of baseball in which they they could write themselves. And it, you know, as far as Rojas goes, I do miss seeing him in the lineup as well. I just wanted to say I looked it up while you were talking. The Phillies are 28 and 14 in games in which Johan Rojas appears. So. 
I'm sure other yeah. factors play a role in that, but that's pretty solid. Those are pretty solid yeah. numbers for a guy who just got here. I, I like the energy that he brought too. I yeah. just, I just felt like that. I felt like that was a, you know, having that asset in in the outfield. For you know, there was a in the Ranger Suarez game. I I think Johan Rojas catches that ball that was hit to center field. Uh, I mean, Marsh made a decent attempt at it. He just barely missed uh, the hit that broke up that broke up the no hitter that eventually helped lead to the three run inning. But I I tend to think Rojas may may maybe gotten to that ball but um who knows it's all speculation at this point but yeah that's uh two games left against the Braves here um so that's uh Philly's got to finish up strong while the Cubs are in Colorado the Diamondbacks are playing the Mets in New York and um you know the the Marlins are playing the Brewers. The Marlins got hammered on Monday, so that was helpful to the Phillies. So uh, the, the Phillies are in a fortunate position in that they've built up a little lead for themselves, but they cannot afford to go into the tank. They've got to play just if they play a little over 500 here uh, over this uh, last two week stretch, they probably can clinch that top wild card. But obviously, if they can win this series and get these last two games, that would be quite a springboard. What a nice statement that would be for them. Give them some confidence heading into the playoffs because even if they lose two out of three in Atlanta, that's kind of what you would expect. But winning three out of four at home would be huge uh, for this team as a just kind of maybe a show to the fans that maybe this isn't going to be the same kind of September as we've seen in months past. But if you lose you lose these next two games again, the panic Philly fans are all ready to panic. We we've got our finger hovered over the button and we're we're ready to we're ready to panic at a moment's notice. Always so at all times. It's not unthinkable either. I mean, Turner, Harper, no. and Real Muto all have great numbers against Max Fried. But the thing that was extra frustrating about Game One today is that the Phillies' numbers against Charlie Morton last year were extraordinary. They hit as a team. They hit 300 against Charlie Morton last year. Mm. They had uh, they hit the, their line drive percentage against him was the best, highest line drive percentage any opponent had against an Atlanta starter since 2021. Like they, they could, they were knocking him around last year, and it seemed like perhaps they were going to do that again today. Uh, but yeah, once again, another a starter they they just failed to capitalize against. But you know, looking ahead, they've they've done some good work against Freed. Uh, you know, Travis Darno yeah. does have a 467 lifetime batting average against Zach Wheeler. But that being said, <laughs> there's yeah, the Braves are not un killable they are not unchallengeable you you can beat the atlanta braves at baseball you and can. I hope, yeah i hope the phillies know that going into these next two games <laughs> well and I, I i think and i think and justin i mentioned this before the show we didn't talk about it and we can talk about it i think that this second game of this doubleheader is not a game that they win last year i feel like that they the, the experience that they that they garnered last year i think they're more talented this year this feels like a, a doubleheader that they would have lost um, especially after the way they lost the first game of the doubleheader. And maybe maybe I'm off on that. It's just a feeling, but um, I don't know. Did you guys get the sense? Get that sense at all? Yeah, I was kind of wondering, what, what do you classify as the chief differences between this year and last year? Because we were talking about how much these two teams have mirrored the, each other mm -hmm. in September, but in this particular case, you're spotting a difference, and I'm just wondering what you're <laughs> defining as that difference. Yeah. I, I, think it's an, I think it's an intangible in that they know how to win – Last year, they had the big loser energy. They didn't know how to win big games. They didn't know how to win when it mattered until they, they until very late, very, very late, last week of the season. Um, and I think going through that and then winning in the playoffs and, and winning some of the games they won in August, even though you know they've lost some crushers on, on Bryce Harper home runs, they've bounced back from, from the previous ones that, you know, those games that, that got blown and, and put some wins together after that. It just, this team, unlike previous seasons, I don't think this team is affected when they hit a dry patch, when they hit a rough spell. 
Um, they have not lost back-to-back series in a really long time. I can't even—I don't remember when it was, but it's been—it's been months since they've lost back-to-back series. And I, I just feel like that they—the experience they got and the confidence that I think they have—is what led them to winning the second game of the doubleheader. I, I don't know. It's—it's—it's it's, it's an intangible type thing, but that's just kind of—that struck me as I was watching today uh, tonight. Is I was—I like, don't know that they would have won this game last year. They no, have I the can... memory of goldfish this yeah. year. It they they're able to just forget what happened before, which is really amazing. And I think it is it's hard to do. Yeah, I think it is something they they weren't as good at last year. And I actually think they've gotten better at it since the Trey Turner standing ovation. I you know a, a rising tide, you know lifts all boats. And I think everyone got a lift from that. And you know, that's wearing off a little bit because they couldn't play at home forever. So I will say the one other thing to think about is the Braves have struggled at Citizens Bank Park since 2017, counting the doubleheader today. They are 24 and 36 since at Citizens Bank Park and that does not include the two playoff games that they lost at the bank last year. So I guess you could make that uh, 24 and 38 at Citizens Bank Park going back to 2017. So uh, the Phillies do well against Atlanta, even with all these division titles and all the struggles the Phillies have had over the years at Citizens Bank Park, generally speaking, the Phillies hold their own against Atlanta and and do a little bit better. So not out of the realm of possibility, they can take three out of four from the Braves, even as as hot as they are, um, the Braves are kind of coasting to the division titles. So, um, you know, Phillies kind of need these games a little bit more than Atlanta does. I know Atlanta's battling the Dodgers for the top spot, but at the end of the day, um, you know, just got to get uh, get these last two games. All right, let's wrap this up. Final thoughts. Uh, Liz, let's start with you. Final thoughts here on the podcast. Well, some of you may have heard by now, but uh, what is his name? It's a Pete Crow Armstrong uh, of the uh, Chicago Cubs has been called up to the big league roster. Um <clears throat> and he happens to be the son of uh, an actress in a movie many of you have seen. I would ask you guys to guess, but you already know. Uh, I already know, yeah. <laughs> and that movie is actually a movie that Justin and I have reviewed on our Patreon, uh, Little Big League. Um, it's a great baseball movie. Yes. She R- played rookie of the Year. Her name is... No. Nope, this is Little Big League. No, it's Little oh, Big I League. Thought it was, this whole time I thought it was Rookie of the Year, probably because it's a Cubs guy we're talking about. Yeah. Right, my yeah. bad, my yeah, bad. Yeah. No, and honestly, until I looked it up about when this podcast started, I also thought it was <laughs> Rookie of the Year. <laughs> That's what it's been this whole time. I was preparing to say things about the mom in that movie because I, I remember us liking that mom Yeah, she and was her cool. Role. Yeah, yeah, this one I actually don't one. remember. Yeah, the, I remember her <laughs> only because I've seen Little Big League like a thousand times. Uh, but she marries Tim. Marries, she she, she gets, dates Timothy. Bu- yeah, Timothy Busfield. Timothy yeah, Busfield, in the movie. Yeah, thirty something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but yeah, <clears throat> Ashley Crow. She has not done a ton of work. She was a regular in the series um, uh, Heroes. If uh, you dare to oh, remember really? that. <laughs> wow. Yes, she she hasn't done a ton of uh, a ton of film work. It was just her second film, Little Big League. She was also in The Good Son. Mm, with a, Macaulay Culkin, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway, he, Pete Crow Armstrong, son of a, of a woman who played the mother of a guy who didn't play baseball at all, actually. Because um, <laughs> I was thinking about that. Someone said that on Twitter today, which is 
what made me think of it. I'm just like, she was never the she was never the mother of a major leaguer. Of a major league player. No, she was yeah. the she was the mother of her small of her young twelve year old child who became the GM <laughs> and owner of the team. Or the coach manager of the team, right? Yeah, that's what yeah. it was. Became yeah. the mother of that, it all works that out. little know it all. Yeah. There's yeah. a whole subplot in that movie where she busts him for watching adult films in a hotel yes. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a whole it's like a whole part of the movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah, give it a watch. Good stuff. <laughs> oh, that is a cool story, though. And I, it's funny. Like, you think, because I, I did, I got confused. Too. I was like, wait a minute, how could she be the mother of a baseball player in that movie and now, like, 30 years later, be the mother of a real baseball player? Like, how old is this woman? How old was this woman in the movie? But I guess it's, uh, She's 63 you know, yeah. now. Yeah, interesting. Okay. All right. Very cool story, though. Very, very ironic. Very cool story. Uh, Justin, final thoughts from you. Wow. I, I can't believe nobody's bringing up that Timothy Busfield is the stepfather of a Cubs prospect. That is no, I didn't know are that. You, are you serious? No, guys, I'm joking. No, because he marries her in the movie. I'm referencing the movie. <laughs> Come on. They didn't get married in the movie. I like to think <laughs> that they broke up. You like to think? Okay. Yeah, sure. No, uh, what movie are you talking about? Little Big League. Little Big League. To get married in that? No, no. They wind no, up Justin together, is, though. Oh, Justin's looking forward. He's he's hoping that the relationship ended in marriage and that they would one day have a child. All right, you're definitely editing all this out. But the joke no. is that I'm saying in real life, <laughs> Timothy Busfield and this woman are married, and this Pete Crow Armstrong would then be their. It's fine. Their spouse. They're they're not their spouse. <laughs> not their, their spouse. Yeah. All right, uh, we totally yeah, understand that the, the situation. Rails. Uh, yeah. So everybody, you know what's a nice, clear story with zero commentary is the feature I just wrote for Baseball Prospectus about ah. McCoy Stadium in Pot- in Pawtucket, Massachusetts, which is going to be torn down. Uh, it's scheduled to be demolished, but like all minor league stadiums, houses a ton of uh, a lot of unknown history for people outside of the region uh, and outside of the city even. Um, and it's the home of where they the longest professional baseball game, 33 inning game, uh, went down in 1981, w- which was, of course, also impacted by the Major League Baseball players strike. And there's just a lot of aspects that play into the story. And I just I talked about uh, the pitcher who gave up the, the winning hit in this story and uh yeah it's just it's it's a it's an interesting just baseball narrative about a stadium and a very famous game and the people that you know just kind of get added into footnotes historically because of how big and and wide baseball reaches but Mm. yeah when a stadium comes down you know there's a ton of stories typically and and, uh, this was a cool one to write about so that's over on baseball prospectus for uh subscribers and Justin does really good with these kinds of stories. Yes, um, great. Finds the the hum- yeah they're they're terrific and finds the human angle, the human interest, and and the heart of the story too. So it's really good stuff. So make sure you check it out over at Baseball Prospectus. All right, everybody, that's gonna do it for this edition of Hit and Season. Want to remind you to check out everything we're doing at Hit and Season by going over to the BillyPen.com slash Hit and Season landing page. That's where our blog posts and uh, where our podcast. Uh, that's our home over there. So make sure you bookmark that and and check us out. We are uh, re- we're writing for them every week and. Uh, also make sure you go over to our Hit and Season Patreon. If you are not a Patreon member, uh, you can just sign up on one of the tiers over there and you can contribute uh, to the Hit and Season College Fund or whatever it is we're going to use the money for. I don't know. Uh, but it's just sign up on one of the tiers and you can get all kinds of bonus content there. Uh, some extra podcasts, like I mentioned, The Dirty Inning, Continued Success, and the movie reviews that Justin and Liz do. Uh, all great stuff there, so check it out over at patreon.com slash Season. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season.